need your help. So help us through your Holy Spirit for the glory of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Genesis chapter 12 is a turning book in the book of Genesis and in the rest of the Bible. And what we're going to learn over the next 14 chapters in Genesis, there there are three big truths we're going to learn. First, we're going to learn that God makes great promises to Abram. We're going to see the beginning of these promises this morning, and then we're going to see them unfold over the coming weeks. And these are great promises. These promises are so good that if you take them seriously, the more you take them seriously, the more you wonder if they can actually be true. Second, we're going to learn that all these promises are true. They're not too good to be true. They are true. They are guaranteed by the sovereignty of God, and we're going to see that God has fulfilled and is fulfilling these promises that he made to Abram. And then third, we're going to learn that the promises in Genesis 12 are fulfilled in us who are in Christ. So if you are a Christian, you're reading this passage, these promises were made to Abram thousands of years ago, you may wonder how does it relate to us? Well, where we're going, what we're going to see in the Bible is that we are the recipients of the blessing that is promised in Genesis chapter 12. That all the promises in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, all the promises in the Bible are ultimately pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and they find their fulfillment in him. And therefore, we are recipients of this blessing if we are in Christ. These promises are so significant that the rest of the Bible is simply God fulfilling the promises he made to Abraham. So if you want to know, what is the book of Isaiah about? Isaiah is about God fulfilling his promises to Abraham. Uh, What is Colossians about? What is the book of Acts about? What is Revelation about? What are all the books of the Bible about? Well, it's about God fulfilling the promises that he made to Abraham. And we're going to see these promises, the beginning of these promises, in our text this morning. Now, our text naturally breaks into three parts. The first part is the call of God. The second part, it it is the promises of God. And third is the obedience of Abram. So let's start with the call of God. And there are three details I want you to notice about the call of God on Abraham's or Abram's life. Detail number one is that the call of God is God calling Abram to a new life of faith. God is calling Abram into a new life of faith. He's not calling Abram to sanitize his old life. He's not saying just uh, live your old life, but be a little bit nicer. That's not what's happening. God is calling Abram, and God calls us to a whole new life of faith. Genesis 12.1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So go from your land. It's very clear. Go from your land. Go from your relatives. Go from your father's house and go into the land that I will show you. To have land, to have relatives, to have your father's house was a huge asset for Abram. This meant property for Abram. It meant prosperity for Abram. It meant safety, relationships, reputation, business opportunities. It meant a common culture, a common language, common customs. And it meant a measure of certainty and security for his life. And God, in verse 1, is calling Abram out of all of that. He says, you need to leave all of that behind. That is part of your old life. You need to leave that behind. And if I was Abram, I would have said, okay, uh, God, where are we going? You want me to go with you? Where are we going? And God says, go to the land that I will show you. Where is that? God says, I'll tell you when we get there. You may not know where we're going. You don't know where we're going, but I will tell you when we get there. So he doesn't give, a- he doesn't give Abram an address, no zip code. No Zillow pictures to look at, to think about the house you're going to move into. That's not what happens here in this passage. 
And as I was studying this week, the question that kept coming into my mind is the question, why doesn't God just tell Abram everything that's going to happen in his life on the front end? Why does it, he knows, God knows, he knows what he has planned for Abram. He knows all of the disappointments that are going to be on the road. He knows all of the highs, all of the lows, all of the failures. He knows it all right now. And he could just tell Abram, but he doesn't tell Abram. Why doesn't he tell Abram? And why doesn't he tell us? Wouldn't it be nice to know all the disappointments we're going to face, all the pain that we're going to face, all the opportunities we're going we're to take advantage of? Wouldn't it be nice to know on the front end? But God doesn't tell us, and he didn't tell Abram. And I thought, why? Well, the reason is to move our confidence from ourselves, from our land, from our people, from our language, from our culture, from our relationships, to move our confidence away from that and into the Lord. That there is a fundamental shift that needs to happen in every human heart. If you're going to worship the Lord, if you're going to walk with the Lord, your confidence must be in the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ must be the rock of your life. He must be your refuge, the one that you run to, the one that you look to, the one that you're trusting in above all else. And if he is not, you will put your confidence in something else. You will put your confidence in something that will let you down. And so this fundamental shift needs to happen in Abram's life, and it needs to happen in our lives too. If this hasn't happened in your life where you say, no, no, God is the rock on which my feet stand. He is my refuge in strength. He is the one that I look to. He is the one that I trust in. That, that, that decision, that movement in our heart away from ourselves and unto the Lord must happen. So God is calling Abram into a new life of faith, not to trust in his land, his relatives, his wealth, his culture, but to trust in the Lord. Detail number two, the call of God untangles Abram's life from the old habits of sin, idolatry, and destructive relationships. So the call of God, what's happening in the call of God on Abram's life? The call of God is untangling Abram's life from old sinful habits, idolatry, and destructive relationships. Abram grew up in Ur of the Chaldeans, a modern, civilized, advanced city during that, that time in world history. And then he moved to Haran, which was another developed city. Both of these cities were built around the worship of false gods. They were built around worshiping the moon god named Sin. And to worship the moon god named Sin and the other gods in the land, it required human sacrifice. So they would take little kids and they would kill them. They would make an offering uh, to the moon god Sin. They would offer their children and they would offer adults as well. On top of this, sexual, sexual immorality was part of the worship of the moon god. And so you see that this leads to chaos when you worship the wrong God, it leads to chaos in your life. And, and Abram was all tangled up in that mess. He lived in those lands and he worshiped those gods. He worshiped the wrong God, not the God of the Bible. So his life, Abram's life was tangled up in that mess. Habits of sin, patterns of, of, of idolatry, and destructive relationships. So God is saying to Abram, you need to make a clean break with your old life. You need to make a clean break with your old life. I have a little illustration that I hope will help you. Uh, it's a little ball of yarn. Maybe it's a big ball. JT, do you want to throw that up here? Help me with it. Here we go. So thanks, JT. Good work. Um, so, okay, so this, is, this ball of yarn is obviously all tangled up. And what can happen over the course of time, because of our sinful habits, because of our destructive relationships, 
because we give ourselves to the wrong thing, our lives, our souls can get all tangled up. And what happens is we begin to notice that some habits, relationships, things we give ourselves to, they're really unhealthy, really unhelpful. And so we'll, say, we'll identify it and we'll say, this is really a big problem. And then we try to untangle it and we realize, uh-oh, it's not that simple. How do you untangle this? Because in order to untangle this, you've got to untangle this and this and this and this and this and this. It doesn't just come undone easily. And so we continue in it and we do the best with what we have. Some of you, you look at this and you say, that's my life right now. My life is a tangled mess. Everything is connected. There's sin. There's bad relationships. I'm not moving in the right direction. Some of you look at this and you feel anxious because you want to untangle this right now. You think, I got I to solve this problem right now. It's driving me crazy. Or you look at this and you say, I know people like this. I know people. And you look at their lives and you say, I don't even know where to start. Where do you start? Everything is so twisted up. Everything is so tangled. You can't just get rid of that because you get rid of that then this happens and this happens and then and it gets so messy and many of us we will bring this is what we bring to the lord and we say lord i will follow you as long as you don't touch this i will follow you as long as as long as i can keep this all in place god i don't want you messing up my life okay i got control of my life and you're gonna have to go around these things this is what's gonna happen lord and so we, we try to obey, but we're compromised. We start off on a bad foundation. We're compromised. Our habits are established by our desires, our ambitions, our sin, what we already want to do. Our relationships are unhealthy. We're giving ourselves to the wrong thing, and we try to tuck the word of God into the open spaces of our lives. And what the Lord Jesus is calling on each of us to do, and what the Lord was calling Abram to do, is to make a decision to make a clean break with your old life. This is what it means. You gotta get rid of it. Gotta get rid of it and go the other way. And if you don't do that, your life gets so, it just continues to get tangled up. I mean, there are so many people. How many people, they, they think about Christianity, they begin to come to church, they come to a Bible study, but they can never get free. All their old relationships, patterns of sin, things they're giving themselves to drag them down and they can't get free, they can't get free. Now you might be thinking to yourself, wait a second, aren't people involved in there? Don't, aren't we supposed to care about people? So how does, how does that work? Because doesn't God care about those people? Well this is what's so interesting about the passage, is that God is calling Abram to leave his relatives, to leave his land, to leave his father's house. And then the promise he makes is that if you do this, I will make you a blessing to the entire world. He, he's calling Abram to be a blessing to the entire world, but in, before he's gonna be a blessing, before God is gonna use him to bless the whole world, he has to make a clean break with his old life. Or another way to say this, if you're gonna be the light of the world, if you're gonna be the salt of the earth, you need to become the light of the world. You need to become the salt of the earth. If you're dark and you're living in darkness, you won't light up the world. If you're not salty, if your life is not salty, Jesus says, what good is it? What good is it if your life is all entangled with the darkness? So you have to get free. And what God knows is that with Abram, Abram will be the source of blessing for the entire world. So he's not saying give up on your old life because you don't care about people. He says give up on your, own, your, your old life that you might be the light of the world, that you might be the salt of the earth, that your light might stand out. And how do you become the light? It means you become a Christian. Now you come to faith in Christ. You build your life, not on your dreams, or your ambitions, your desires. You build your life 
on the word of God. You have a new center of gravity. And that center, center of gravity is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this makes perfect sense to me, that if Jesus is calling us to a new life in him, then we cannot have a new life in Christ and hang on to our old life of sin. You, can't, you cannot experience and walk in the newness of life if we're not willing to let go of our old life of sin. How do we expect to be filled with the fullness of Christ if we are still filled up with our own lives? How do we expect to be filled up with the fullness of Christ? Don't you want that? To be filled with the fullness of Christ. How do we expect to be filled up with the fullness of Christ if our lives are packed full with ourselves? God only fills empty vessels. And when we empty ourselves as an act of worship to Christ, he will fill our lives. He changes our lives. The Lord wants us to lay down our lives that we might find our lives in him. Some of you are holding on to your old life. You're trying to do both. And what I'm telling you is it won't work. It won't work. You need to make a clean break with your old life of sin and destructive relationships. And God will give you wisdom as far as what that looks like. But in your heart, you need a new master. You need a new Lord. And that's what God is calling Abram to. Detail number three to notice is that the call of God is gracious. The call of God is gracious. As you read the story, you ask the question, uh, you can't help but ask the question, why Abram? What is it about Abram that, that God saw? He saw something in Abram. What is it that God saw in Abram that said, yeah, that's my guy? What is it? You know, was he just better than everyone else? Wiser than everyone else? More righteous than everyone else? Certainly not. Abram is no better than anyone else. No more worthy than anyone else. And so why Abram? Well, it is because God chose Abram. That's what happened. He chose to be gracious to Abram and Abram's descendants. God says to Abram, I'm going to make you an object of my grace. You are an object of my grace, a trophy of my grace. A great passage. There's a great passage in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, that I hope gets stuck in your head. Because it is, a, it is a powerful picture of what it is like to become a Christian. How do we think about uh, Christianity? How do we think about what God has done for us? How do we think about our sin in light of, of all that Christ has done for us? How do, we, how do we put all these things together? Well, this is what it says in Zechariah 3, 1 through 4. It says, Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So we, ha so we have the angel of the Lord, we have Joshua the high priest, and then we have Satan standing there accusing Joshua of sin. That's what the devil does. He's the accuser of the brethren. He goes after the people of God, accusing them. Look at their sin. Look at their sin. Look at their sin. Look at their sin. Now, what does the Lord do? What does the Lord do? There's the devil going after Joshua. Does the Lord, the righteous judge of the earth, say, exactly, let's get him? Is that what happens? No way. Verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Now, here's the phrase. Again, I hope this gets stuck in your head. Here it is. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Isn't this man, he says, isn't this man, Joshua, a burning stick snatched from the fire? Fire. What is Joshua? What is Abram? What are you if you're a Christian? You are a burning stick snatched from the fire. And this is such a powerful picture. Here's a picture of a little fire 
fire action happening, if you want to put that up there. And that fire, there are logs in there, there are sticks in there, and if that fire just keeps going, those logs, those sticks, everything is going to be consumed by the fire. The fire is burning, and this is a picture of sin in our lives, that sin lights our own lives on fire. Not other people's sin. Other people's sin certainly doesn't help. But it is my sin that lights my life on fire. It is my sin that makes me worthy of hell apart from the grace of God. And if nothing is done with that fire, like no intervention, nothing happens, all that wood will be consumed and it's gone. And the same is true for us and the same was true for Abram, that if God had not intervened by his grace, Abram's life would have been consumed by his own sin and he would have been sentenced to hell apart from God forever and ever. But what God does for Abram is that he reaches in and he grabs that stick from the fire and he redeems it. He saves it. This is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of what God has done for me, what he's done for you if you know Christ. Then what does God do with that stick? Verse three, now Joshua was dressed with filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. He's filthy because of his own sin. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. He says, listen, all of your sins, all of your sins that that make you worthy of separation from God, all of your sins that make you filthy, God says, in Christ, I've forgiven all of them. I'm taking away your dirty clothes, and I'm putting on new fine clothes that you might be in my presence. And that is exactly what God does for us in Christ. That though we have, we have made ourselves filthy, we've stained our own clothes with our filth, in Christ, he's taken those clothes from us. Now, where did they go? They went to, to Christ on the cross. Our filth, our sin was put on Christ that we might be forgiven forever. And all the righteousness that God ha- has in Christ, all of his righteousness ha- have been put on us new clothing that we might live in his presence. So he takes that stick that's gonna be destroyed and he forgives, forgives, forgives us our sins and closes, clothes us in his very righteousness. And I think about this truth almost every week. I hope you do too. I, I hope you think about what God has done for you every day of your life. I, I often think about the question, where would I be if God had not saved me? What would my life be like if God had not saved me. And I don't, I don't even like thinking about that because I think, oh man, I know what's inside of me. I know what I, I'm capable of doing. But for the grace of God, we would, we would be sticks burning in a fire. But God has been gracious to us. And he was gracious to Abram. Now, obviously, Abram has to respond just like we have to respond to the invitation to follow Christ. But God saves Abram. What he's doing for Abram is gracious. And what a glory it is, just a side note, what a glory it is to be involved in that process. What a glory it is that God would use his redeemed people, the church, to snatch people from the flames. That is is what he is doing through us by his grace. It is a glorious thing, which leads to the promises of God. The promises of God. This is the second part. The promises of God. There are seven promises God makes to Abram. And we're gonna be exploring these promises over the next 30 weeks or so, so I'm not going to dive into them uh, right now, but it's going to take a long time to unpack all of this, but I want you to to just feel the weight, the overwhelming weight of these promises that God makes 
to Abram. Here they are. Remember, Abram recently, in recent history, had been worshiping the wrong God. And now God makes these promises to Abram. Number one, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a great nation. Number two, I will bless you. Sin has cursed you, but the God of heaven will bless you. And what this means in this context is financial blessing, many children, and territory, land. Number three, I will make your name great. I will give you a great reputation in the world. God made this promise to Abram 4,000 years ago, and we're studying him today. We've gathered here. We're studying Abraham today. God made this promise 4,000 years ago. There's no human being besides the Lord Jesus Christ who is more revered and admired than Abraham. For, for 4,000 years, people have looked to Abraham. Muslims love Abraham. Jews love Abraham. And Christians love Abraham. Number four, and you will be a blessing. And you will be a blessing. God's heart for Abram wasn't just to receive blessing, but to be a blessing. There is great joy in receiving blessing. And there is great joy in giving a blessing. Which is better, do you think? Receiving a blessing or giving a blessing? Which is better, giving a gift or receiving a gift? You're probably thinking, depends on what the gift is. I mean, if it, new Tesla, give it, give it to me. <laughs> you, you give me that new Tesla or whatever it is. But we know there is great joy in receiving a gift. And there is even greater joy in giving that gift. In giving that gift. And God says to Abram, not only will I bless you, you will be a source of blessing for others. Number five, I will bless those who bless you. I will bless those who bless you. God says, I will deal with people on the basis of the way they treat you. On the basis of the way they treat you. They bless you, I will bless them. Six, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. Anyone who treats you with contempt, Abram, I, the God of the universe, will curse them. Whoa. This is the God of heaven saying, Abram, I got your back. <laughs> I got your back. They mess with you, they're messing with me. They come after you, they're coming after me. I have your back. And number seven, all the peoples, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Sin divided the entire world and sin has cursed every person, every family, every culture, and every nation. Sin corrupts everything that it touches. And what God says to Abram here is just outrageous. He says, Abram, through you and through your descendants, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Not just people in your neighborhood, not just your family, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Now, how is that even possible? How is it even possible? Well, what, what we are going to see is that all seven of these promises are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all fulfilled in Christ. They're all pointing to Christ, just like all the promises in the word of God are pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in the Lord Jesus Christ, humanity finds its greatest blessing. Is there anything better? Is there anything better than being forgiven? Is there anything better than being clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Is there anything better than having eternal life? Is there anything better than walking with the Lord? Is there anything better than having the hope of the resurrection with the new body and the new heavens and the new earth? Is there, is there anything better than the promise to spend eternity in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy 
and pleasure forever, forevermore. Is there anything better than that? It is the highest and deepest blessing that the God of heaven could give any person. And that is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, humanity finds its salvation. We find our salvation in Christ. We find our forgiveness in Christ. We've been reconciled to God because of Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of Abram, who is snatching, to this day, right now, he is snatching sticks from the fire, redeeming people's lives from the pit. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world to receive the punishment that you deserve for your sin. At the cross, that's where the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and Satan in our behalf that we might possess eternal life. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is calling the world to himself right now. He's, he's inviting the world, come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. And so all the promises in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 are fulfilled in Christ, which leads to the third part of the text, which is the obedience of Abram. The obedience of Abram. Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went as the Lord told him. So what's Abram's response? He gets the call. Stay or leave. What are you going to do? Stay or leave? Are you going to stay or are you going to leave? God gives him promises. He looks to the Lord. He says, I'm in. I'm in. And there seem to be two obvious obstacles to Abram's obedience. Two things that just, they just jump out of the text that are obvious obstacles to Abram's obedience. The first is that Abram is 75 years old. He's 75 years old when, when God calls him. That's what verse 4 says. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that 75 is old. Did you hear that? I didn't say 75 is old. I'm just saying that 75 is pretty old. Uh, when, it, when it comes to starting a new life, that's, that's all I'm saying. You're starting a new life at 75 years old, go into a new country, learn a new language, learn a new culture, and yet he went. He went. I mean, think about how stuck in your ways you get after five years. Think about how stubborn you can get. Abram has already lived a full lifetime. 75 years old when God calls him, and yet he goes. Moses, you know how old Moses was? 80. God called Moses, the Moses that you think about, was 80 years old. So if you are 60 years old, you are a spring chicken. I mean, you have a lot of years ahead of you, and it is not too late to change. It is not, did you hear that? That's very important that you understand don't be grumpy. Don't be so set in your ways that you, you turn away from what God is calling you to. He calls Abram at 75. That is so wild. The second obstacle is that Sarai, his wife, is barren. Sarah is barren. And when you think about these promises that God makes, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. Through your descendants, your offspring, I will give this land. I mean, you think about all these magnificent promises, and then you remember that Abram and Sarah have no children. They're, they're old, and they have no children. I remember uh, when Meg and I, we first got married, uh, we were young and in love. Love and life were still young and in love, I guess, but a little <laughs> older now. And we had this attitude. We just said, well, we're just going to take on the world. What's going to happen? We don't know. We're going to figure out life together. When we went on our honeymoon, 
We were, we were still too young to rent a car. I mean, Meg was only 16, then I was 17. I'm just joking, that, that's not true. <laughs> 22, 23, but, <laughs> but we're still too young. Like, we're too young. We just bought a house, we don't know what we're doing, and trying to figure it out. And then we had a baby, nine months and two days after we got married. So we had two sweet days of married life without children in our lives. <laughs> then God gave us more kids, and we're so grateful for that. What, what, a, what a wonderful gift that God has given us. And almost certainly, Abram and Sarah got married young as teenagers. Almost certainly. They got married young. And I'm sure they were filled with the same excitement. Let's take on the world. Don't you feel that way? You get married, you're like, yeah, I don't know what we're doing exactly. We're going to go figure it out. Let's do it together, baby. You know, that's the, that's the heartbeat of a young married couple. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm sure they had it. And then one year goes by, no children. Three years go by, no children. Ten years go by, no children. Forty years go by, no children. Sixty years go by, no children. And all of the promises are based on the offspring of Abram. How does that work? I mean, if you're Abram, how are you not saying, uh, Lord, um, we have a problem here. It's through my offspring? I don't have any kids, and we've tried for 60 years. I have no idea how this is going to work, but he obeys. Abram obeys. He goes. I love that verse, verse 4. So Abram went, and he began the greatest adventure the world has ever known. Is there any adventure greater than what God does with Abram? Abram? Is there any story better than what God does with Abram? His story is our story. It is the story of God's redemption, the story of God changing people's lives. And my dear brothers and sisters, if you want a life that you will not regret, obey God. Don't waver between two decisions. Don't hold on to your old life. Push all of your chips in on the Lord Jesus Christ. Go. Just settle the issue. Go. What do we do with this information? What do we do with the story? I'm going to give you two points of application. Number one, count the cost of following Christ. Count the cost of following Christ. Abram... For Abram, there was no halfway option. He was going to obey God and go or stay in Haran and disobey God. He had to count the cost. The call of the Lord pushed Abram to count the cost. What am I doing with my life? Do you guys ever ask yourself that question? What am I doing with my life? What am I giving myself to? See, the call of God pushed Abram to make that decision, just like the call of Christ today pushes people to make that decision. What are you doing with your life. Well, am I going to stay in disobedience? Go in obedience. The Lord Jesus calls us. He commands us. Old Testament, New Testament. Every person he calls, he calls them to count the cost. Believers have done this for centuries. For centuries. For Moses, in Hebrews 11, we see that Moses had two options. Option one, stay in Egypt. All the pleasure, all the sin, all the glory, everything you could have wanted in Egypt. That's option one. Option two, 
is you follow the Lord. You walk in obedience with him. You experience the rejection of the world. Hebrews eleven twenty six. this is the conclusion. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Since he was looking ahead to the reward. So he, he looked at the two options. Egypt, pleasure, glory, fame, comfort, security, or following Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And he looked at his two options, and he said, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to follow the Lord. I will follow the Lord. Abram, two options. Stay in Haran, security, comfort, relationships, ease. Or follow the Lord, even though I don't even know where I'm going. And he followed the Lord. He went. What is your decision? What is your decision? I mean, is it clear in your heart what you're doing with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't know, I would encourage you, settle the issue in your heart. If Jesus lived for you, died for you, rose for you, if he's alive, do you believe Jesus is alive? If you believe he's alive, then give yourself to him. That's the only thing that makes any sense at all. So count the cost. Number two, worship God alone. Worship God alone. The life of faith is, it is a life of changing your behavior. Did you hear that? It is a life of changing your behavior, but it is not first a life of changing your behavior. The root issue, the foundational issue in the Christian life is worship. It is worship. It is the worship of God. And the genuine worship of God will change our lives. It will lead to a change in our behavior, undoubtedly. And what we see in the story is evidence of Abram worshiping God time and time again. If you look at verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem. Where's Shechem on the map? It is in, it's in the middle of the promised land. So the idea is that God is leading him from Haran down a very long journey, hundreds of miles, and he leads him to Shechem, the very middle of the promised land. And then it says, at the Oak of Morah. What's the Oak of Morah? Morah means teacher. The Oak of Morah is where the false prophets of the Canaanite gods taught the Canaanites. This giant tree where people could sit in the shade of the tree and the false teachers would get up and teach about the Canaanite gods. It says, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah at the time of the Canaanites at the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. <laughs> what are you going to say if you're Abram? We have two small problems, God. I don't have kids, and I don't have an army. The Canaanites, are they just going give, to give us the land? Is that what's going to happen? Now, Abram could have scoffed at this. He could have questioned God unendingly about this. But what does he do? What does he do? He's in the center of the promised land at Shechem, surrounded by the Canaanites. God says, I'm going to give your offspring this land. What does he do? Look back at verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So what does Abram do? So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him, and he worships. He worships. He runs into obvious conflict. How is it going to work? I don't know. 
Let's worship. Christians are worshiping people. Healthy Christians delight in worshiping their Savior. Abram is a sinful man, as we will see as well, but he keeps running into challenges, he keeps running into difficulties, and he keeps worshiping. He keeps worshiping. He keeps building an altar. In verse 8, he builds an altar, moves throughout the land. He lives in a tent, and he builds an altar. Lives in a tent, and he builds an altar. And he he keeps worshiping the Lord. And my dear brothers and sisters, that is what we must do. You run into challenges, you worship. You worship. It's good to ask questions, but what can happen so often is that people run into challenges, disappointment, heartache in life, and then they quit. They give up on the Lord. They stop worshiping the Lord. There are two wrong attitudes I want to call out quickly. Here it is. I'm a Christian. That means God should help me get what I want in this life. If I'm a Christian, God should help me get what I want in this life. Part two of the wrong attitude If God doesn't help me get what I want, it's okay for me to do my own thing. So God, what he's doing, his responsibility, get me what I want. If he doesn't, I'm justified to pursue what I want. Wrong attitude. Right attitude, number one. How do you think about yourself? I'm a burning stick plucked from the fire by the grace of God. Starting point. I'm a burning stick plucked from the fire by the grace of God. Right attitude number two, I'm a stranger in a foreign land, heaven is my home. I'm a stranger in a foreign land, heaven is my home. I love our country, I love Des Moines, I love our state, state of Iowa, I love it. Heaven is my home. Heaven is our home. We're citizens first there. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says, by faith Abraham, when he was called. The writer of Hebrews is reflecting on Genesis 12. By faith Abraham when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he did not, set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the foreign land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. What motivated Abram to keep going, to keep worshiping? What motivated him to keep moving? Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking ahead. He said, I'm a, I'm a foreigner in a, in a foreign land. I'm a stranger. This is not my home. My responsibility, my goal is to walk with the Lord. To walk with the Lord. To obey him from the heart. And so, brothers and sisters, we must resolve to trust and obey the Lord. To worship him from the heart regardless of what happens. If life, if life is great, worship. If life is confusing, worship him. If life is disappointing, worship him. That's the Christian life that God has called us to. Let's go ahead and pray. Father.